Thank you, worship team. Let's give it up for the worship team. Amen. What a blessing. What a powerful time. Welcome. Welcome to City Point. Well, thank you, Amy. I'm going to get a prophet's reward. Amen. So only two people got that. How's everybody today? I'm so excited to be here today. Tonight, I want to invite you back at 6 o'clock. We're going to be right here at City Point for the kickoff of Revive. Tonight's going to be a time of praise and prayer. And as we, uh, as we minister, I've been asked to uh, launch it with a, an, an exhortation. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, so that's at 6 o'clock tonight. Then in the morning, we launch. We'll be out in Laporte. You've got the schedule. Hope to see you there. Just kick my water. God is good. So that's an awesome thing. You ready? I, uh, I have this message burning in my heart. I'm so glad to see that the young people, I didn't know if they were in here or not today, but I know this, I really know, because I almost called uh, our prime leaders, Amanda and Pastor Kyle, and said, make sure the youth are in here today. Because uh, I think what, what I, I believe more than a message today that God has something he wants to impart. And I think he wants to impart it especially to our young people and challenge them today. And I have a, I have a message that I want to uh, begin. And the title of this message is What's Up with the Church? And, um, you know, there's a lot of negativity around church and statistically church attendance is on a decline even though you know it may appear with the with the mega churches that are around our country that that you know churches as well but there's a uh, there is a exodus that has been taking place especially among young people uh, from the church a barna poll recently found that 65% of Millennials were that who had been raised in the church. Now, this is 65% of church kids are leaving the church, and uh, and so the church has come under all kinds of scrutiny, and there's all kinds of criticisms to be offered. I want to kind of talk to you about what's right with the church, what's up with the church. Get it? What's up with the church? I don't think. And here's the thing: I don't think millennials are leaving the church because they don't love God or they don't love church even. I think a lot of it is that they just don't like what they see the church has become. And so I'm going to share with you today what I, what I see as a, a great challenge and, you know, we've taken this on, and, you know, you could call me as a, you know, I, I'm a pastor, and I have a pastor's heart, I have a shepherd's heart, there's no question about that, but I also, I also have this heart for revival, and there's a, re, there's a term that's been going around, you know, that I want you to get used to hearing, because I want you to, I want you to link arms with this term, and it's the word revivalist. I am, a, I am a pastor, but I am also a revivalist. My heart, I carry this burning desire for revival in and around the church. Because the world is never going to see a move of God until the church experiences revival. Revivals are not for the world. Revivals are for the church. And then when the church gets revived, the world gets impacted. And so, as a, as a revivalist, and, I, and for years, and I've studied revivals, moves of God, I'm, I'm uh, in my library, in my office, if you've been in there, you know I have lots of books. The mass majority of my books have to do with revivals and moves of God and history of the church and so on. And so, based out of that, I want to share this message, you know, because I have that's one reason I can never stay still as a pastor. I'm always trying to press. Now, I'm not saying I've always done it right or always implemented it right or always 
done it right, but, but you, have to, you have to admit that this is one pastor who's going after revival. And so a few years ago, we implemented you know, what we called the growth track here, because I want to just touch on this. Just give me, bear with me. And in the growth track were the four cups because, you know, this is, a, this is something many, many churches are doing. I'm sure you're aware of that. But it was, these, it was these principles that gripped my heart, not a program. You know, programs are, programs are just man's attempt to do something. Principles are how you align yourself and get in agreement with God. And when you get in agreement with God, God's favor and blessing always follows his principles. You cannot break God's principles and walk in the favor of God. And I, I know that runs against today's message of cheap grace, but I'm just telling you, you know, I believe in grace. But grace is not Grace, listen to me, grace is not you getting to do whatever you want to do and God just blesses you. Grace is an empowerment to do God's will. And when you do God's will, you get God's blessing. And so these four principles have been a, been a center point of where we have, everybody who comes in here has, who's went through and if you're going to be a part of our team, and we want you to be, and we're going to do this in July again, and we're revamping it again because, you know, again, we're just, we're just finding our way through this. But the four principles are timeless. Number one, know God. John 17, 4 says, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God. You have to know God. You know, one problem with many of our churches today is they're filled with people who don't know God. And I think, you know, part of, part of the responsibility of ministry is to introduce people to God. Some of you sitting here looking at me like, well, I know God. Well, I think many of us know the God that we have formed, but you could not be living the way you're living if you knew the true God. Secondly is find freedom. You know, because when you know God, the truth will make you, they that know the truth, the truth shall make you free. You find freedom. You know, a lot of people, I came into this a mess. I have been, I have been finding freedom all along the way. You did not get it all when you got saved. Said Pastor Mike, wait a minute, but I got it all. Well, I mean, it's one thing to have it in the bank. It's another thing to be able to draw off of it. All right, moving right along. Number three is we discover purpose. Everybody is going somewhere. The problem is a lot of people don't have a clue where that is. And so our, our goal is to help people discover purpose. Number four is to make a difference. Because I, I, a lot of people just are, got their ticket punched to heaven and they're just okay with the way things are. I can't be that way. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in the world. I want the world to know that my God lives. I want to impact the culture. I'm not satisfied that, that a small percentage of our country has so much sway while a large percentage of so-called born-again believers have literally no influence in our nation. Why is that? Because we have yet to find the real ability to make a difference as we find our place in God. Now this is all based out of a scripture that I'm going to take you to, let me read this. It says, in order for this to happen, because this is, this is where we're going today. You need to write this down. This is, this is really not in your notes. There's only really four points to your notes today. We're only going to get to one. And everything else is going to be in addition to. In order for this to happen, in order for us to, to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference... We're going to have to camp around the presence of God. We're, listen to me now, church, this, because this is City Point. Some of you have been coming here for just a little bit. You see on our sign out there, it says a presence-driven church. 
That, now, that's important. It's important for you to understand that's our heart. That we're not just trying to discover our purpose, we're trying to live and walk in the presence. Because you'll never know your purpose apart from the presence. You see, many churches camp around a lot of different things, but we have made a decision here. And yes, it it is is a decision that costs you because once you make a decision to be a presence-driven church, some things don't fit into that. And so this is not six flags over Jesus. But I don't personally know anything more thrilling than the presence of God. And to know when you're in it and the glory of God is in your midst. And you're you're just walking in the presence of God. And so we have camped around the presence of God and have made this decision to be presence-driven. Now, all of this is based on Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And this, again, this isn't in your notes. You should write this down. If you want to know, people come to me all the time. You say, what's City Point about? Here it is. This is the, you say, but this is the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to show you the New Testament of this in just a second. Bear with me. He says in Exodus 6, 6 and 7, therefore, say to the Israelites, the Old Testament church, that I am the Lord, see, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. See, there, I am the Lord. No, no God. I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. You got to know I am. Moses said, well, who shall I say? Sent me. Say that I am sent me. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's the finding freedom. God wanted his people free. They could not, listen to me, you cannot serve God in bondage. The frustration and the, and the struggle that many of you are f- fighting is because you're trying to think that you can serve God while still being in bondage to the Egyptians. You've got to, you've got to get out of Egypt. And then God starts the process where he gets Egypt out of you. Glorious. And he says, I will free you from being slaves. Hallelujah. I will free you from being slaves to them. No longer slaves to fear. I am a child of God. That's how you find freedom. And you discover your purpose. I will redeem you. Redemption is, in, is my purpose. I'm on this planet. The only reason I'm alive here today is because I'm redeemed. And because of the redemptive purpose of God, I'm here preaching to you today because God picked me up when I was lost and completely hopeless and helpless. And God, with his outstretched arm, reached up and picked me up. And he redeemed me, restored me, and brought me back to life again. And I've spent the rest of my life until I take my dying breath telling you of the redemptive purpose of God. And I'm here to tell you today that what he did for me, he'll do for you. And he wants to do it for every person in this city. So I can't rest having a hard time sleeping at night. I want this redemption, and my body aches for this redemption to visit God's house, that people start walking in their redemptive value. Many of you, 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 just, you do such a good job of tearing yourself up. The devil doesn't have to bother you. You need to get the identity of your redemption burned within your heart so that devil cannot beat your brains out. I'm redeemed. Remember the old song, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. The reason many people can't share their faith is because they have no sense of redemption, just condemnation. And you can only live out of your identity. It's time for you to switch your identity. I will take you as my own people. 
Now think about this. You'll be my people. You're mine. I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is our passion. This is what we live for as a church. We're not here just to give people a pat on the back. And you're you're doing great. It's helping them to know God. See, for those of you who know God, I I love this church. This This is a house with a lot of people who know God. But none of us have arrived yet. None of us have plumbed the depths of God. I'm still fishing. I'm still seeking. I'm still searching. And some of you have been gloriously saved and you have a wonderful story, but there's still freedom that needs to come into your life. Because if you don't get free, the thing that you're compromising with is going to slay you. And so this is what we live for, these four cups. But now I want to I shift this because in these four cups, I want to show you the four purposes of the church. Now, this is something, again, you bear with me. Well, before, I want to give you the New Testament reference. I said I would, and I want to be true to my word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 16, the easy-to-read version, listen to this. He said, God's temple cannot have anything to do with idols. And we are the temple of the living God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the temple of God. Listen, that's, you were created to be the temple of God. That's God's plan and God's purpose for your life. Now, you may, you may not be living like it. You may not be acting like it. But he says, and we are the temple of the living God. Now, the problem is it's, it's, it, 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 it gets into this whole idea of, of once, you, I, once you find your identity as the temple of God, you, you don't want to mess with idols. You'll destroy idols if I, if I could just get you to connect with your identity as the temple of God. Because what is the temple of God? What is the temple of God? It's the place that hosts the presence of God. You should write that down. The temple is the place that hosts the presence of God. And so you are God's temple. You are hosting the presence of God. Now listen to what he says. He says, I will live with them. In another version it says I will live in them that's the more accurate I will live in them why because you're hosting God God lives in you I will walk with them walk in them I will be their God remember this out of Deuteronomy and they will be my people so you see the New Testament comparison here between the 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 people of God who host the presence of God Israel had a had a temple that that was built in three parts, and in the Holy of Holies, the priest would travel into once a year, and he would offer to the Lord, and if he was without sin, he would come out, and and if he wasn't, he would drop dead in the presence of God, and they would pull him out by the rope that they tied to his feet, because when they heard the bell stop tingling, they knew the priest dropped dead from uncleanness, because our God is a holy God. There's not one of us sitting here today that are holy enough to sit in the presence of God. But because of the blood of Jesus, we've been cleansed and made new. And the opportunity, the middle wall of partition that was between us and the Holy of Holies has been removed. And now because of the sacrificial blood and the power of Jesus, God invites every one of us to come into the Holy of Holies. And he says, I will live in you. I will walk in you. I will talk in you. Every one of you are carrying the presence of God. And, and, and listen to me. Here's the, here's the thing about that. This is, what's, this is what's gripped me about what I'm going to share with you this morning. It's how well are you hosting God? You ever had somebody over to your house and, you know, and they, they dropped in unexpectedly? And on your way to the door, you're throwing, I'm, I'm not admitting anything. 
I'm not admitting anything. All of a sudden, you're swiping things away, putting things away, run to the door calmly and say, oh, hi. So happy to see you. Yeah, right. Well, would you like to come in? And you're hoping they say, well, no, I can't stay. And they go, oh, yeah. And you, and you just hosted, the, yeah, I don't know, I'm, I'm not admitting anything, but, but, but you, you sat down, it was kind of awkward, you were nervous, you didn't really, you hadn't been to the grocery store, you know, all you had to offer them was, was like a week and a half old milk, because I drink a lot of milk, it's 99 cents this week at Town & Country. I, had, I wasn't prepared, I wasn't ready, it was awkward, and it was, it was almost like here they are sitting in my house, but I didn't feel comfortable about it. That's how many of us are with God in his presence. God shows up in your life. Many of you have not got comfortable in that. Many of you are feeling pretty awkward because you feel ill-prepared, you feel ill at ease because you're in, you know you're, you're hosting something so awesome and great. But I, I'm here to tell you something. God is okay with your mess. God is okay with your situation. He's okay if you got dog hair on the couch. He's, he's okay if, 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 if there's dishes in the sink. He's okay if the living room is kind of a mess because you, 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 you use it to sort laundry instead. Of, come on, church, help me. I'm not admitting anything. But if you have to move clothes to let somebody sit down, then you're living in my house. But you see, here we are hosting the presence of God. It's the greatest, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen in our lives. So I want to show you this, and we're going to go right to this. This is number one, the number one purpose. This, these aren't in order necessarily, but this is number one. The, one of the first pre- purposes of the church is to host the presence of God and encounter him together. Everybody say together. Now this is a very powerful passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. Are you with me? Because this verse has been just eating me alive. It says this, in Christ, see here, in Christ, when he's in me and I'm in him, and it's that interpenetration that he talked about that happens when you become a believer. You are in Christ. He is in you. You are in him. And it's that, it's that penetration of Christ in your life. And so what happens is when he shows up, his, his desire is, is, to, is to let you carry the presence of God. Now listen to what it says. In Christ, he chose us before the world. In Christ, he chose us before the world was made. The whole plan of God, bigger than the universe, bigger than anything, was that you would be in him and him in you and you would host the presence of God. Listen to what he says. He chose us in love to be his holy people. Don't let that word holiness, holy people, get you all weird out or even get you a religious. What holy means, it means you're set apart. Once God comes in, there's just something special. Don't you agree? There's something special about God. And when God comes in, he takes possession. He takes he, he sets his mark in you and on you, and, when, and you become holy. You're set apart. And this is why you, it's not congruent to hold on to the world and think that you can hold on to God because no man can serve two masters. You can't be the temple of God and the temple of idols. You have to make a decision. I'm going for Jesus. I'm gonna, I want all that he has for me. I don't want to be shared by anything. I, we sang it this morning. You can have it all, Lord, every bit of my world. I hope that's more than just words to a song to you. Because he chose you to be his holy people. People who will stand before him without any fault. Now, you need to underline that. People who will stand 
in his presence without any fault. You say, but I have so many faults, not as he sees you. You say, well, how can he do that? Because the Bible says that he doesn't see you through your righteousness. He sees you through the righteousness of the Son of God who gave himself for you. And this righteousness we live and have is not the righteousness of ourselves. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't stand before him. Pretend, you know, you, if you strut into the presence of God and go, man, hey, God, I'm here. I'm all that in a bag of chips. God has a way of bringing you down really quick. But I stand without fault. I don't have to fear. I don't have to draw back. I don't have to be afraid. Listen to what it says. And before the world was made, God decided to make us. Everybody say us. God decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. The blessings of sonship and daughtership. He made us his sons and his daughters. How many of you know when you, when you, how many, you know, how many of you, how many of your parents, how many of you love children? Now, let's be honest. How many of you really love your own children? Somebody told me the other day, we were talking about our daycare, and they said, I couldn't work here because I don't love kids that much. I said, but you got, you got kids. Yeah, well, I love my kids. It's true. You know, you can talk about kids all, you can talk, you can talk to kids and talk about kids all you want, but don't you talk about my kids. And you see, here we are, we're, 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 we made us children of God. Do you live like that? Do you live in the awareness that you're a child of God? People say, well, you know, God, ha God is no respecter of persons. That, that's not true. God loves his children in a very special way. And you better watch how you treat God's children. Remember when Saul got arrested by the Holy Ghost on the road to Damascus, where the Holy Ghost demasked him? And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who was Saul persecuting? The church. But when you persecuted the church, Jesus said, you're persecuting. And so here's, here's the thing. He made us children of God. You know, one of the greatest needs in our world today is that people are living like orphans. We got kids growing up in the church that have no sense of identity. And listen to me, parents, you need to stop where you're at, take inventory what's going on in and around your children. It is your responsibility to make a deposit into them of their true identity in Jesus Christ. And it may mean a little less television and a little more time in the Word of God. Well, that's something you don't hear every day. It's evident, it's evident, it's evident. Our kids are dying for some identity to latch onto. We have the greatest identity in the world in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Let's go on. This is why we're only doing one of these today. This was what God, this is what God Somebody help me. I can't even read that from here. This is what God wanted. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to keep from turning my back. I watched last week's, a little last week's video, which I hate watching myself. And I noticed I turned my back and read off of this one. So I'm not trying not to do that because it's rude. Turn your back on people. If you turn your back on me talking to me, I'm going to slap you. <laughs> so turn around here and talk to me. Look at me in the eyeball. So I apologize for that. We got to get a bigger TV here, or I got to get better glasses. <laughs> it's just a fact. God decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. This is what God wanted, and it pleased him to do it. <laughs> That's got nothing like a father who just gets pleased blessing his children. Man, I just love blessing my kids. And this brings 
praise to God because of his wonderful grace. This is, you, when you carry God, listen, what he's saying, do you hear what he's saying? This brings praise to God. When you carry God like this, it brings praise to God and evokes a great deal of, uh, of enjoyment and joy in even God and, and, and his wonderful grace. And God gave that grace to his family, to us, freely. <laughs> I need a reader. Remember you know, some of the old churches when they had a reader? Remember that? And the Bible says, here we go. He gave us that gain in Christ. Grace, there we go. I can't. I'm already, I can't. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Whoa, praise God, I can read this. <laughs> uh, God gave that grace to us freely. He gave us that grace in Christ, the one he loves. Who does God love supremely? His son. And when you carry his son the right way, Man, nothing tickles God more. Because here's the thing. If you carry, listen to me, young people. If you carry Jesus the right way, he gives you more. It's the, it's the law of stewardship. If you take good care of what you've got, God adds to you more. If you don't steward well what God gives to you, he takes away what you have and gives it to somebody else. That's scripture. So you see, you and I were created to carry the presence of God and encounter him together. Everybody say together. Okay, here's what I want you to do, if you can read this. Count how many times the word me is in these verses. I. How many times is the word us? Somebody's going to, go ahead, you're taking, how many? Five times? Five times. The word us. Do you get the idea here? This isn't, church is not a me thing. It's a us. Church isn't, shouldn't be about me. Church, because if you make it about me, or you, you make it about you, guess what? This is why people get hurt in church, because you make it about you. But you, I guarantee you, armor of protection when you make it about us. Because suddenly you forbear, you forgive, you understand people's weaknesses, propensities, and you understand that this is all part of us, and this is part of me carrying the presence of God. This is part of me carrying the Son of God, and I'm going to steward it well. When people treat me good, I'm still carrying the presence of God. When people treat me bad, I'm still carrying the presence of God. When people talk about me, I'm still carrying the presence of God, and I'm going to live like a Son of God, and act like the Son of God, and talk like the son of God and when they hurt me I'm going to do what Jesus did father forgive them they don't know what they're doing God bear with them I'm able to pray for them you see that's what church is about it's carrying the presence of God into the tough things into the difficult things into sickness into into struggles and strife it's carrying the the presence of God to the lost and the undone people who don't believe like you people who don't think like you but you host the presence of God you're job isn't to reject them. Your job is to love them into the presence of God where God can wash them, renew them, and restore them. Shout amen. amen. So I want to close and tell you a little story, a historical thing. It has special significance, I think, because I believe, I, listen to me, I believe this church is sitting on a move of God. I believe this church 
is carrying something very special that is not for you. It's for, if you carry it for you, you will hinder it. How many, how many of you know moves of God get stopped and have been stopped and squelched because people forgot who they were carrying and what they were carrying and for whom? There's a story about a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts, how many of you have heard this name? Hardly anyone. Good. I'm going to give you a history lesson. Evan Roberts was born in the late uh, 1800s. And he was from Welsh, in the Welsh region of, of the UK. When he was a very young man, his father, he lived in a mining town in Wales. The mine exploded, his father got injured at 11 years old. Now listen to me, young people, at 11 years old, he had to drop out of school and he went to work in the mines. He went to work in the mines at 11 years old for 75 cents a week in order for his family to survive. He was brought up in a very strict Methodist home. His parents gave him a Bible when he was very young and Evan had this, had this delight in reading the Bible. When he started taking his Bible with him to work and, and uh, when he was 12 years old, there was an explosion in the mine. He had rolled his Bible up in a, in a, in a thing. This is a picture of the miners. Listen, look, this, this is a picture of the miners in Wales. Do you, you notice something about those kids? They're all kids. It's a very different time. There was an explosion that killed five of those young men. Five of those kids were killed in the mine. Evan was in that mine. He had his Bible with him. He had it rolled up and stuck in a hole in the mine. This is a picture of the Bible. It's in a museum. Notice the burnt pages. Evan preached with that Bible through his entire ministry. He would hold that Bible up and talk how he was plucked from the brand. Because you see, he got a sense that God must have his hand on me. God must have a plan for me. Listen to me, young people. The fact that you're here today, the enemy and the culture that you're around wants to tell you that it's all for nothing, it's aimless, it's meaningless. But you see, the fact is that you are created for a purpose, to carry God, and you have a meaning and a purpose, and your, your life can be greatly used by God. Here was a young boy at 12 years old. They say he would take that Bible, he would stand at the opening of the mind as the young men would file in, and he would give each one of them their verse for the day. And then he would stand at the mouth at night and say, what did the Lord say to you about that verse? He grew, he grew up and got older. He went off to a Bible school. In that Bible school, listen to me, in that Bible school, he, he, uh, he, he got involved in a, in a, a move of God that was uh, being led by a preacher named Seth Joshua. And he was kind of a wild evangelist and, 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 and was preaching things that weren't even being experienced. And he was preaching a fullness of the Holy Spirit. And in those days, there was no baptism as we know it. There was no gifts. There were no emphasis on the, uh, on the supernatural. It was very stiff, very religious. Evan's heart, obviously, has been gripped by God. Evan was a prayer. He, they say he prayed three hours a day in his, in his teens and up into his Bible school days. In this Bible school, the theme of this Bible school, this is so powerful. The theme of this move of God, they started saying, bend us, bend us, O Lord. 
There, there was something rising up from within them. They knew their stiff religious system. Their dried out wineskins were not making it. They knew there was something more. And they were crying out, bend us. Bend us, O Lord. And the prayers became desperate. I mean, they became desperate. People were crying out for God. Not like so much that we see today where people just shout and cry for the sake of crying. They were desperately going after the caring of God's presence and the implementation of it. Evan got gripped by this and his cry was, bend me. Bend me, O Lord. He had an encounter with God. He asked the leader, uh, he, he, he felt this call to go back home. Drop out of school and go home. And he went to the leader and he said, I, I, I need you to help me. Is this God or not? Should I stay here? Is this just me? Or is this the devil? Or is this God? Should I go home? Because I feel this burning desire because I see my city and I see my people and I see this. And I, I really feel like I need to go share it with my people. And the leader of the school said, I don't think the enemy would tell you that. I think you should go home. He went back home. Now listen to me. He called, uh, he went to his pastor when he got home. They said, what's wrong? Did you get kicked out of school? He said, no. He said, there's just something burning on the inside of me. Can I have a meeting after the morning service today? And I want to ask the young people especially to come. And I want to invite them because I want to share with them what God has shared with me. Because I believe God is about to do something great. In one of the biographies that I read, I've read several about Evan Roberts. In, in one of the biographies that I read, it says he went to his best friend and he, and he, because he was, he was praying and interceding and weeping over his city. And, he, and he, he went to his best friend and he said, do you believe God could give us 100,000 people in this city? And his best friend, thank God for this best friend who wasn't filled with a bunch of religious stuff. He said, most certainly our God could do anything. They started, he, the pastor said, okay, you can do that. They had a meeting after church was dismissed. 17 people gathered. 17 people gathered. 17, everybody say it. That's a far cry from 100,000, isn't it? Evan stood up and he just began to tremble. He couldn't even hardly speak. He just began to cry. He began to pray. He never was really known as a great speaker. Many times if you read the history of the Welsh Revival, Evan Roberts would step up to the pulpit and he would never preach. And God would just start moving. It was almost like there was no one in charge of the meeting because God, he would just step back. There were many times he would walk out of the meeting because he knew he was hindering the meeting because it got to the place where people were coming to see Evan Roberts. Seventeen people. The pastor was so moved by what he heard from Evan Roberts. He said, "We know we got a little Bible study here tomorrow night. Would you come and share again?" There he shared his keynote message that went through the Welsh revival. It had four points. Number one, you got to repent of all known sin. Number two, you got to turn away and forsake everything doubtful in your life. Number three, you got to obey the Holy Spirit fully. And number four, you got to confess Jesus openly. That was the four points of the Welsh Revival. That's it. But see, this was a sovereign move of God, prayed in on people who were carrying the presence of God. Listen to me, two weeks from that first service, listen to me, two weeks from that service, this man was preaching in that church to those crowds. This, this picture was actually taken at lunch when all the businesses would shut down and they would skip lunch and go to the church for a midday meeting. How does that happen, Pastor Mike? How does that makes that stirs my heart? What's gonna what's it gonna take for that to happen in our day? Because I believe the time is now, and the church is positioned 
in a perfect place that if we could just realize what we're carrying and who it is we are uh, uh, representing in this earth that we could walk in our calling and we could walk in the in the power of an anointing that would see God break through. I believe God wants Portage to see that kind of a visitation. I believe he wants Northwest Indiana to see that kind of a, of a visitation of God. I believe God wants you to come to know him and us come together and realize that we're carrying something very, very, very special. The world has beat you down. The devil has tried to shut you up. The world has told you you aren't worth nothing. God says you're my child and what's in you can change the world. Some of you, I believe God has positioned you for this kind of a visitation. I believe God wants to use young people. This whole revival was carried on the back of a young man because the preachers were too dull and too religious to embrace it. Thank you. Can I tell you, can I tell you what happened in the newspapers? I looked up some old newspapers from that day. Do you know what the newspapers were doing? Okay, let me tell you this. Within six months of this outbreak, it's reported that 148,000 people came to Jesus. That's how you know it's a move of God. That's how you know it's God. People are coming to Jesus. It ain't about you just getting a whoopee on. If you're getting a whoopee on and, and people aren't coming to Jesus, you need to stop. Calm down. And let's go after God. It was so powerful that the newspapers every day were reporting the number of people saved in the meetings the night before. The move of God was so powerful they laid off half of the police because there was no crimes being committed. Businesses, brothels, bars closed because nobody frequented them. You know what I say? Lord, bend us. Bend us. The move of God isn't out there. It's in you. You're carrying it. I'm so sick and tired of hearing people say, God's going to move. When? When you move. Listen, I've been in the Pentecostal thing for 35 years. I've hubbub and shubbubbed with the best of them. I'm hungry for a move where God takes us and releases what is inside of us and we host the presence of God together. Then you'll be able to pray and lay hands on the sick. You don't have to get them to the pastor. I'm not carrying anything special that you're not carrying. You don't even have to get them to church. How about if you're at Walmart and God gets in you and says, go lay hands on that person. And they get healed right in Walmart. What happens when you see a person bound and you speak to them, come out of them, Satan, in the name of Jesus? And they get free, clothed in their right mind. And then say, I don't know who you are, but I feel like I need to follow you. Well, come on. We're going to the company of God, the household of saints, the temple of God. How's it going to be when everybody who's carrying this flowing in full measure and services are completely out of man's control 
And how about this, church? How about when we are not gathering to camp around a sermon, but we're going to camp around the presence of God? Pastor Mike, are you trying to get out of preaching? Nobody loves to preach more than I do. But nobody knows more than I do that it's not preaching that we need right now. It's the presence of God. Stand to your feet. I got to quit. I got to quit. But Lord, you don't have to quit. <laughs> ah. One night a special speaker came into the Wales church. Big, big dignitary, you know, this was at the beginning of the revival. They had this whole service. He preached. They said their amen, and people wouldn't leave. People wouldn't leave. If you read the history of this, it gets kind of crazy because the services were extremely long. They would start in the evening around 6 o'clock, and many times it says that they didn't get out until 3 in the morning. That's what happens when thousands of people are getting saved. I know that's an inconvenience for some, but would you be inconvenienced to see somebody brought from hell to heaven? So this preacher did his thing. People wouldn't leave. Pastor looked at him. I said, well, are y'all going to leave? They said, no, we want to hear from Evan. So Evan stepped up and he just began to pray. The move of God broke out. More people came and got saved. You know, there's people right here, right standing right now, you need Jesus. You've come to church, but you have not come to Jesus. And there's a huge difference. I'm glad you come to church. But if you only come to church, you are living way below what you are intended in your position in Christ. Because you're called to carry something of the presence and the power and the holiness of God. I'd like you to bow your heads with me today. I'd like to know how many here today you'd say, Pastor.